President and CEO of the Better Government Association. It is full disclosure, our weekly check-in with the BGA, keeping an eye on government. Uh, seemingly a little bit harder to do since government is dispersed into homes all around Illinois as most of state government is working from home and the legislature is not in session. And a lot of courts weren't functioning, but they were this week down in Clay County when an Illinois lawmaker took on Governor J.B. Pritzker and won at least the first round David, bring us up to speed on where we stand right now. This is a this is a fascinating battle between the governor uh, and a guy who, uh, up until this point, was best known for wanting to sever downstate Illinois from Chicago, but now suddenly he's uh, he's getting national attention. Right. Uh, you know, he's been covered by the Washington Post and other news organizations. Um, he's getting attention because he came up with a novel argument that home order reaches the governor's uh, uh, authority because the state law that applies here allows the government to issue such orders only for a 30-day period. It's a technical legal argument that the governor has indicated he plans to appeal. Um, but at the meanwhile, we're seeing that at least one other person has joined. John Cabello, another downstate lawmaker, has, jo- has joined. And we could see many, many people now uh, join this lawsuit in an effort to basically invalidate the governor's stay-at-home uh, effort. It, it kind of struck me that this uh, strategy of using the courts to try to undo these executive orders, it's not being embraced by the Republican leadership, by people like Bill Brady or Jim Durkin. These guys are kind of backbenchers who who haven't really, you know, made much of a mark in Springfield. But now suddenly this is their this is their approach. But I did find it interesting that uh, even uh, Jim Durkin's uh, statement on this didn't really advocate this approach of going to court, just said that he wants uh, the, the governor to work with the legislature to to figure out the next steps forward here. So not everybody's on board with this uh, this legal strategy, it appears. No, uh, although there are people on the national level who have tried similar things in other states. This is part of the same sort of mindset that has people rallying around the state capitol on weekends uh, saying reopen the state. And the argument um, that, you know, there's the legal argument, which we've discussed, but there's also a uh, a broader argument that Bailey has made, which is that in a county such as uh, where he lives, Clay County, in the town he lives in, the, of I think it's 13,000 people, they've had two cases, that there's an overreach here in ordering people to stay home because the risk of uh, going out is less than is is not as great as the risk of the damage that this is doing to these economies. That That's kind of the, that's not the legal argument, but that's the notional argument he's making. The alternative to that is if you do have an outbreak in, in a, you know, an area that that small with the resources it has, it would very quickly overwhelm the medical resources to deal with it. And we've seen that happen, for example, in in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with the Smithfield plant that was closed down, where they had a number of cases that just overwhelmed. And and Sioux Falls, South Dakota is a lot bigger than uh, the place that Darren Bailey is in southern Illinois. 
I remember Governor J.B. Pritzker very early on in this saying there are no good uh, answers to this. There are no good choices to it. Just a question of trying to choose the least bad choice. That's more of a, of a political and philosophical question. The legal question, though, is does the governor have the authority to issue executive orders and to impose these kinds of restrictions in what is a national emergency declared by the White House uh, and a national emergency that hasn't lasted for just 30 days? And it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out in the courts. David, the other uh, side of this coin, though, is that this really has been Governor J.B. Pritzker pretty much acting on his own because the legislature has been absent, uh, not meeting, not acting, not doing anything really at this point. Session canceled again this week, and it seems like part of the frustration for lawmakers like Darren Bailey and John Cabello is just the fact that uh, the, the executive branch is calling all the shots while the legislative branch is AWOL. Yeah, we have this anomaly that requires the legislature to meet in person, uh, to vote in person. And uh, we've seen all kinds of uh, government organizations, governments across the state, the city of Chicago, obviously, as well as others. Um, uh, I believe Springfield's uh, council is meeting, et cetera. Um, uh, that they, the, for some reason, the legislature, which could just overturn that requirement, simply by meeting and having an in-person vote has been unable to organize even that. One could see an, an instance in which that legislature could meet, uh, go in individually to cast votes, keep separate, keep spacing appropriate, et cetera, but they haven't been able to organize that effort. And as a result, they've been off the field this entire spring, which is right now beginning really later this week. This is when the legislative session really starts to get going. And there's no sign yet that they're going to be able to organize. And all the talk now is what's going to have to happen after the May 31st legislative deadline pass, passes and we go into the traditional sort of overtime session where it becomes a bit more difficult to pass a bill. In order to pass a bill in the Senate, you need uh, um uh, 36 votes instead of 30 votes. Uh, and in the House, I think, what is it, 71, 71 votes instead yeah. of 60? Yeah, right, instead of 60 votes. Now, the Democrats have a supermajority in both houses of the legislature, so maybe there's not that much concern about this. But on some of these bills that are tighter, where you might lose a Democratic vote here and there, uh, it becomes a lot more difficult to get anything done. And, uh, and you've got to build a budget from scratch in an entirely new environment with an entirely new equation of uh, the available revenue, et cetera. There's a lot of work to do. The clock is definitely running on this. Uh, David, though, it does raise an interesting point um, in as much as, yes, uh, there's now a, a, a feeling, at least among some, that we need to have that ability for remote voting. The question becomes, could that also be abused? It's not impossible to imagine an Illinois a scenario where uh, lawmakers are voting from home and some lawmaker just invites lobbyists over to take their turns pushing the buttons for a while. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there is a certain accountability in requiring lawmakers to be present in Springfield, to push the buttons themselves, to cast those votes, to be on record there. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a Pandora's box. Well, it is. And we at the BGA, one of our big issues is open government. And we've uh, we've been quite concerned about uh, some of the government's uh, 
uh, violating open government laws, we've put out sort of best practices in uh, on our website with regard to these very unusual circumstances. We are seeing, though, that local governments are meeting. They are providing public comment periods on their sort of Zoom meetings. Um, the voting that ha is happening is happening uh, via uh, Zoom, so there is public accountability. It's not impossible to do this. And when you think about what's not getting done, Jim, you just told, pointed out the budget is not really getting attended to, and that's going to be a serious problem. Uh, gas tax revenues, for example, are down 45 uh, percent. There, there's all kinds of uh, other revenue shortcomings. We also are going to see the deadline for passing a fair maps amendment come and go uh, as of this weekend. May 3rd is the deadline. And um, because the legislature has been unable to meet, that never got a serious hearing. It wasn't expected to pass, in all honesty. But nevertheless, these are some of the big measures that are just getting tabled because the, the legislature is not, you know, leadership in the legislature, frankly, has not shown the leadership to figure out a workaround here in order to solve this problem. Uh, and it's an ongoing problem. We'll be talking about this for weeks, probably months to come here. But we're going to talk up next about uh, how this is impacting workers around the state, including an interesting uh, part of a feature on the BGA website called What the Gov. Sometimes when things get rushed through pretty quickly, uh, there can be some blowback. That happened with the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission in the last couple of weeks. They hurriedly moved through an emergency rule. And, and whether you agree or disagree with the merits of this. The rule uh, had to do with workers in essential services, medical professionals, first responders, grocery store workers who contract COVID-19 uh, and a, uh, a presumption that they got it on the job that would leave their employers on the hook for workers' comp. This was rushed through pretty quickly and led to immediate legal challenges by a couple of business groups, Illinois Manufacturers, Illinois Retail Merchants Association, uh, that led to a temporary restraining order, putting that rule on hold. And so the Workers' Comp Commission this week basically withdrew the rule, and now they have to kind of start over. Over again, they say they may still pursue something along these lines, but they're going to go through the more traditional process. Uh, David, I think one good lesson here is that uh, these are things that really should be done out in daylight with full awareness and full participation by all the impacted parties, because failing to do that usually leads to bad outcomes. Well, it's not surprising that we're seeing some mistakes made during this time period when so many vitally important decisions need to be made so quickly without a lot of uh, room for error. And and so it, it's good to see that at least in that in this particular case, after the pushback, I think legitimate pushback from the Manufacturers Association and others that, that they're reassessing, uh, it, it speaks to the importance of things like uh, the ability to trace cases, which uh, of course gets back to the, the ability to test for COVID-19. And while the state is making some progress on testing, we finally got past that 10,000 landmark uh, number that P Governor Pritzker was looking for, 10,000 daily tests. Um, uh, we need that kind of data in order for business and uh, government and, and others to kind of be able to track the growth of this um, of this disease. And this is causing all kinds of issues as well related to this, which is when somebody does contract COVID-19 in a workplace, uh, not just where did that come from, but also 
who's been who's potentially been infected in the workplace. Um, there are privacy issues involved. It's a really complicated situation. This has come up in a feature that's on the BGA website. We always encourage you to go check out the Better Government Association website. They do a feature called What the Gov, where people can submit questions uh, generally about government operations, but in this case specifically about the pandemic and the response to it. And a really interesting one just recently posted has to do with this very situation, COVID-19 in a workplace, and what is an employer's obligation to other workers to let them know what's going on. David, what did you conclude? Right. In this particular case, we concluded that, in fact, employees are obligated to inform workers that somebody in the workplace has been uh, has contracted COVID-19. On the other hand, there are privacy issues involved, serious privacy issues. So they need to do so as the best they can without invading the privacy of the individual involved. Um, the what the government feature has covered, we've gotten just, you know, just floods of questions about issues ranging from uh, do you still have to pay your property taxes to can you transport a pet for adoption across state lines? And we're doing our best to answer all these questions because we're in this moment of great uncertainty and people are being very directly affected by their government. And we're doing the best to answer questions people have in the normal course of their lives about how government is affecting their daily lives. Definitely want to go check out the website, check out this feature, check out the other great information there. So David Greising of the Better Government Association, how do people find the BGA online? How do they reach out to you the rest of the week? I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org, D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org, and our website is bettergov.org. And we're here each Wednesday morning. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. See you then, Jim. Thanks very much.